Welcome to Conversations with Z and Vindesh, a weekly discussion that explores common life challenges and offers practical solutions. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. That's D-H-A-R-M-A media.com. Welcome to this week's edition of Conversations with Z and Vin. Z, today we are talking about suffering. Why do we suffer? This is a perennial question. It's been around for a long time. And in fact, if you look at Buddhism, Buddhism used this question as the foundation of the entire religion. So the Buddhist philosophy is that life is suffering, maybe not life inherently, but life the way that we choose to live leads to suffering. That suffering comes from attachment. There are ways to remove the attachment, and therefore there are ways to remediate the suffering. So we're following a similar vein in our discussion today. We are going to explore why we suffer. As we talked about leading up to the podcast, most suffering is self-created, and it's something that occurs in our mind when we're either thinking about what's happened in the past or we're imagining what's going to happen in the future. It's very, very rarely related to what's happening right now. So certainly there are times that we are going to suffer. Uh, Let's say that we're working out together and you put us through a particularly grueling workout. Uh, Maybe we're gasping for air, we're suffering, or someone's drowning and uh, they're struggling to stay up above water. They're being attacked. There's this whole category of visceral sensation that we could put in the suffering bucket. But that only accounts for a very small percentage of our suffering. So if we think about the reasons why people normally suffer, it's anything ranging from mundane to dramatic, but it doesn't have that much to do with what's happening in a particular moment. It has to do with what we are carrying into that moment based on what we've experienced in the past, based on our ego, based on any unresolved issues that we have. So a very simple example would be someone who's experienced trauma. If you've gone through a war, you come back with PTSD, and you're haunted by certain images that you've seen during the fighting. Maybe certain noises remind you of explosions, and that creates suffering. Even though there's no actual physical suffering in that moment, the memories that you carry lead to suffering. So that would be one example. Another example would be all of the drama and the insecurity and the need to control that we carry around with us. And if someone approaches us and talks to us in a certain way, perhaps that triggers us. Perhaps we feel disrespected. Perhaps we don't feel like we've been heard. And that leads to immediate pain. Not only does it lead to immediate pain, but we carry that around with us. So it could be days. It could be an entire week where we're walking around feeling slighted, feeling annoyed, reliving the sensations, having conversations with our friends, with our family. How could this person do this to us? How could uh, they just reject the idea that we proposed in a meeting? Uh, How could they tell me that I'm not dressed well enough uh, to attend a party? Whatever the hell it is, this is stuff that has no bearing in the moment, but we're carrying it around Uh, because there's a certain amount of ego involved and we need to feel like we're validated or we need to feel like we're powerful. 
or maybe a third category could be that there are just unresolved issues that we have. And you think about relationships, the way that we approach our partners, we have certain expectations. If those expectations aren't met, it sets us off. Uh, we feel upset. We feel betrayed, whatever it is. And we look to blame. And this is the most interesting thing to me about suffering because so much of suffering happens due to the memories and the habits that we carry around. Yet when we're suffering, we're looking for remedy often in the wrong place. So we're looking at the things that trigger that suffering. We're looking at the person that said something to us. We're looking at the fact that we have to wait in line when we don't want to wait in line. Uh, We're looking at the argument we got into with our spouse or with our friend And we're saying, okay, if I just change these external conditions, if I just get these people out of my life, my God, I could finally be at peace. Uh, But if we look a little bit closer, we realize this doesn't make sense uh, because eventually we're going to need to kill everyone around us. Uh, I mean, at some point, everyone is going to do something to us that makes us upset. That's just the nature of human interaction. And if we're always blaming things externally, then yeah, maybe it feels good in that moment. It feels like... Uh, great, I can take the pressure off of myself, I can relieve a little bit of anger and frustration. However, it never solves the problem. So to solve the problem, we need sufficient awareness of what is causing the suffering. What are we trying to protect? Uh, What aspect of the ego are we trying to protect? What previous trauma have we gone through? What complications and dramas have we introduced in our lives? And if we can understand this and view it objectively, then we have a chance to remedy the situation and move beyond the suffering. And it takes a certain amount of maturity and awareness. And sometimes it's hard to do because we have to admit that we're the ones who are responsible. And oftentimes that's painful. We don't want to admit that we're destroying our own lives or that we're petty and we're insecure uh, or we never feel loved. Uh, That might be a very painful thing for us to own up to. Uh, But if we can take that pain the advantage is that long-term, we can lead a much more productive life. So that's the topic we're covering today, suffering, why do we suffer, what can we do about it? And Z, let's start with your perspective on this. Talk to us about the different forms of suffering that you encounter. What are some of the common themes you, you see when you work with people as to why they, they suffer and why they feel pain uh, just on a day-to-day basis? Well, Vin, our whole mission here is to mitigate human suffering, do what we can to mitigate it. We can't eliminate things that you invite into your own life, but we can mitigate the intensity, the effects, the uh, direction that that suffering can take one in. And over the years of working with people uh, and doing a lot of self-work, you find that it is more of the way you use your intelligence that will determine suffering how well how hard it gets how much you'll go through so we talk about the different types of suffering let's say i uh, i i get my foot run over by a car and right then i'm suffering the pain and ache of that injury i get that injury dealt with i I, let's say i triage it I, i set the bones I go through a period of healing every day that hurts, every moment that hurts. Then afterwards, I I realize how much time I lost dealing with healing. So now I'm suffering because of the memory 
and the hopes that didn't come true. I won't get that weekend back. I won't get that month back. It's like the pandemic. People are suffering because they feel like their lives were not normal. So they were indoors or they weren't doing a whole lot for a year. They put on weight. They lost contact with co-workers. So they're reminiscing. And that's that reminiscing is bringing back suffering. Just like the sentiment of looking at a love story or an old movie you enjoyed will bring joy back from many years ago. You watch an old movie and you remember where you're at when you saw um, some old Steve McQueen movie or something like that. In the good old days, a lot of people talk about the good old days. They weren't all that great. But the way the memory is, it will delete any suffering that you went through there in your mind and only look at it as being a good time, the days of yore, right? People call it that. So you have that suffering of reflection on what could have been, and it's all very illusionary. Oh, I lost money because of this. Had I not went through this, I would have had more money than I do now. Hell, you don't know that. But your mind is playing that trick on you, and you're suffering. So you get over a an acute injury or malady, and this is one of the biggest challenges I find with people. They get over the acute malady, and they suffer in a way that they're longing for that malady because that malady in its own suffering gave them justification for negative behavior. I had this, I had that, I don't have it anymore. Or people will tell you about trauma from childhood. My mom didn't like me, uh, you know, Uncle Joe was weird to me or whatever. So you, you keep recalling these events and you're, you're not today, but today you're not suffering. Nobody is setting upon you. Nobody's abusing you. Uh, mom and dad are long gone. You have a great opportunity to start your life anew, but you're not doing it. And then you meet people you, who have relationship issues. And they go on and on and on about past hurts to the point where they can't even have a good time anymore. So they not only are having recollections of suffering that may or may not have been of a certain intensity, but the intensity increases because of the amount of energy and mental focus it encompasses. Your whole conscious mind has been hijacked by your subconscious or the subliminal to fixate on suffering of past that has no relevancy to today. You have whole therapeutic practices that are built on people recalling suffering and feeling like some way, somehow, it stole a birthright from them. And while they're dwelling in that, they're missing out on today. So the, the suffering of the past becomes the suffering of the moment that creates the suffering of the future. Oftentimes, I'll work with people and we'll mitigate a problem. And say, well, how does your back feel, your shoulder feel? How does your stomach feel? And they say, you know, I feel great, but what about next week? Will I hurt next week? Will it be bad next week? I have a number of people that I, I solely work with them on being in the present. And they have a list of complaints about life. And I've, as long as I've known them, they've had a list of complaints about life. My back, my knee, my hip, my heart, relationship. And it's just an endless playing of this melody of suffering. It's like the side satire of suffering. 
And while they're doing that, they're missing out on what makes life worth living. I was talking to a young man today whose mom is on life support. Mike, his mom is on life support from leukemia. He called me up and says, my mother is dying. It hurts so bad. I said, go be with her. Sit with that woman who, when she takes her lab breath, the woman who gave you your first breath. She was there. She was present for your breath, first breath. You have a wonderful opportunity to be present with her on her last breath. Don't think about the future. Don't think about what you owe her. And as I'm talking to him, it's like there was a lot of debt he felt he incurred. He had a good mom, great lady, really suffered for him, make his life well. And there was a sense that he felt indebted to her. And it's that sense of indebtedness that can often cause suffering. A bill you didn't pay, a gift you didn't deserve, then that gets into the realm of guilt. Guilt causes suffering. So we want to be free of guilt. How do you do that? Be worthy of whatever gifts you receive. Just make yourself the worthiest person or just accept and be feel that you were fortunate, lucky, whatever you want to say, and let it be. But in order to address suffering, we have we do ourselves a favor addressing the cause of it, the cause of your suffering. Any disease that we want to mitigate, in understanding and unraveling that disease, we have to look at the causality of that. And at times you have to put many different eyes on the same thing. There may be uh, different ways in which to look at something objectively. That's why you look at different clinicians, uh, different experts in a field, and get the observation of those people and take that and say, hmm, okay, I see. Because sometimes we can't do it ourselves. If you're right in the middle of it, or if you're emotionally invested in something, you can't see it clearly. Emotions blind the eyes. They dull the senses. They, they basically obscure the intellect when you're in an emotional state. The other day in L.A., there was a horrible incident in the local news where uh, uh, it was a road rage event. And this is an example of, of how we invite suffering in. And I know that right now we have a, a kind of way we speak that people say blame the victim, not blame the victim. Well, in my reality, I never see anything as pure villain and victim. I see it as part of the whole, part of something more existential. Um, so one of the things that I see in, in this whole thing, this road rage event, um, is a woman's going to work or going somewhere with her child in the car. There's some sort of thing in traffic. Somebody honks her, cuts her off, whatever. She decides to give them the F.U. finger. They unload a gun on the car, kills her six-year-old baby. Everybody's looking for the killer. They're looking for the killer. Horrible thing, horrible. You think about every day when you go out the door, you got your kids in the car, Somebody's driving around just ready to kill someone who cuts them off or they think has cut them off or they cut off and the person reacts in a way that they don't like. Well, where is the suffering? The suffering started long before that day. 
the suffering started by normalizing the general rudeness and discourtesy of a society where we have normalized rudeness. We have normalized anti-communal behavior. Again, I'm not saying out, go out and kumbaya and make friends with everybody you know. But I am saying don't make enemies with everybody you know that you don't know. You never know what effect or interaction that you can create by small actions. So oftentimes when people see police abuses, because we are trained to admire the police, we always look at what what the person did to make the cop angry or what the person did to make the cop fearful. Well, I'm using the same math in this situation. You're driving down the road, uh, somebody cuts in front of somebody, you honk at them and say, fuck you. They kill your baby. Well, we think about, oh my God, they killed the baby. What if we just didn't say fuck you to anybody? What if we just accepted in a rude, inconsiderate society, one is tasked to have a higher level of situational awareness. We have reached a threshold of sociopathy. So the cure is understanding. The cure to poison oak is mugwort. But the cure to any of that is don't understand poison oak. Know what poison oak is and poison ivy is and avoid it. That's the best cure is not getting it. In a world of rage and all that, that we, we must, we accept that it is poison oak and poison ivy. And as we hike through the wilderness of this world, through the frontier of an uncivilized society, we look for ways of avoiding scraping against poison oak and poison ivy. To de-escalate is what I was explaining to my nephew and some of his friends involved in some uh, craziness, is how do we de-escalate? How do we take stock of the things that are valuable to us and discard the things that don't work for us? How do we take personal responsibility for our role in the dynamic wheel within a wheel of society. So whenever we get cut off in traffic, you know it's not personal. There are people just driving around angry and confused. There are people who are just going out shopping just because they get a dopamine rush whenever they purchase something. If anything, feel sympathy for them, lost souls. There are people and lots of them who feel entitled to something and they don't know what they're entitled to, but they feel like by your happiness is taking away from theirs. That is the nature of our polit- politics nowadays. The whole idea of left and right wing forgets that they're just different wings on the same bird. A bird has two wings, a left wing and a right wing. And in the middle is the body of the bird. So should you hate the left wing and love the right? Or hate the right and love the left? If the left is really weak, does that make the right stronger? If the right is is deformed, does that make the left more perfect? 
You see how ridiculous our thinking is? So for us to be good, to be good travelers, we have to be like a good hiker and know the poison bush. Avoid the poison bush that invites suffering into your life. And if you encounter that poison bush, go to the secondary cure and relieve yourself of that with uh, the remedy and learn a lesson from that. So all suffering, or most suffering, I should say, has a role you play. Please don't buy into the narrative, oh, victim shaming. No, we all play a role other than just the children that are in our care. And if they cannot overcome their karma. Or if you have someone who is totally dependent on you and they have and they're and, and they're a child or they're a, a person that doesn't have all their physical or mental faculties, there's not a lot they can do, right? It is through the grace of the divine and humanistic charity that they are allowed to flourish. So they, they can't say where you put them, but all the rest of us who are able bodied, we put ourselves exactly where we need to be. And for those of us who are thinking about it, as we have to do commerce with this almost apocalyptic behavior of people, step lightly, tread lightly, and move about so you can simply navigate your way through it, less the worn. So that as we navigate the poison bush of, of rudeness, chaos in society, so that we can move about our path, just be aware. We just want to get through this not so worn. And as the Tao says, the straightest path is often crooked. Sometimes you do have to be like a football running back avoiding tackles just to, just to get from point A to point B in life, be that in a physical or a metaphorical sense. But there's a way to do it. And it starts within you and then it goes out to the people who are close to you that make up your world. Be very careful not to buy into the failed narrative that suffering is inevitable, that life is all bad. No, it's not all bad. There is work to do. We are entitled to nothing. We don't have a right to our lane on the freeway. We didn't lease a moving piece of property that we can select who trespasses and who don't, who doesn't. We also know when it comes to our health, the warnings are all over. The foods have been adulterated, so we have to source our foods better. You'll suffer less with your health. Uh, you get too busy. You don't have time for the things that are important. Then one day you look up and your kids are grown up or your spouse is leaving you or something like that. It didn't happen by accident. Suffering just didn't visit upon you like a, a, a wayward mistress. Suffering was invited in because you didn't nurture you didn't nurture that force field of life that allows you to keep a healthy range away from the suffering and intelligence is a great steady companion so you can really watch out for the things that bring me suffering i would say we look at suffering this way what is gross suffering that's immediate acute suffering accidents hit you, um, something breaks, something, then there's suffering that has a pathology where let's say you're smoking a pack of cigarettes a day, you know, eventually you're going to get your lungs cut out. Let's say you avoid, uh, you, you pretend that there's an injury you have that 
you can get by. You just kind of muscle your way through that backache. You don't get any therapy. Of course, you're going to lose your spine. So there's that type of suffering that is predictable and has an obvious pathology. And then there's the other type of suffering, which is the greatest type of suffering, where you just simply open the door and allow suffering into your life. You take on suffering as a project and then complain about it. So we want to, there's some you can't avoid. That's a small percentage. But the vast majority of it is really the way we think and how we invite it to our life. Everyone who has a full belly, a roof over their head, clothes on their back, a regular source of water, there's not a lot going on wrong in your life. So now you have, to, you have to create drama by inviting suffering into your life, inviting diseased behavior and thinking and so forth into your life. So I would say we, we can learn a lot by taking that walk in nature and absor- observe the workings of things. How can I enjoy life more? How can I be present in life more? How can I simplify my days and nights? How can I manage my time and unencumber my time so I'm engaged in less, fewer activities that invite suffering into my life? You follow me, Vin? Yeah, the point that you made, Z, that I think is very important, we can't eliminate suffering. That's not our mission. At times, we're always going to suffer we can take steps to mitigate that suffering. And certainly disaster strikes at certain points. Uh, We may end up on the short end of the stick for the genetic lottery, end up with some disease. We can lose people that we care about very deeply. And there's no way to avoid the pain associated with that. But the strategies that you laid out are interesting to me. So if we break the suffering in a different categories, some of it is triggered by things that we have no control over. Even in those scenarios, we can take steps to mitigate the suffering. We can do things like being present, making sure that we're spending time the right way with the people that we care about so that when we do lose them, or if we do lose them, there's nothing that we wish we'd said. There's nothing that we wish we'd done. There isn't the sense of guilt that's following us around. We can own ourselves and own our choices. We can't always predict what the outcome is going to be, but we can make sure that we live in a way that we can stand by. And if we step back from our lives, we have the awareness that we're living in a way that is making the best use of our time, where we are acting consistently with our priorities and we're not getting bogged down in minutiae. We're not letting our emotions take over. And we're not getting so focused on work that we forget about keeping a more harmonious state with our family and other aspects of our lives. So even for these events that might seem random, we can take certain steps to mitigate the suffering. Presence is something else that you mentioned, which is extremely important because we talked about how suffering in a sense, is a form of anxiety. A lot of it is obsession about what's happened in the past, concern about what's going to happen in the future. 
So if we can bring our mind back to the present, then a lot of that suffering disappears. And the way to do that, as we've alluded to, is to not leave anything undone, uh, to make sure we do what we need to do. We fulfill our obligations, our responsibilities. It gets back to owning our choices. And then we can just accept whatever the outcomes are, knowing that we are true to ourselves. And there, we, we lose the need, perhaps, to second-guess ourselves or wonder if we made the right decision because we know that we're living according to our principles. So that's another strategy uh, that we mentioned. The area that maybe we have the most trouble with or causes the bulk of our suffering, I believe, is this constant drama that we're creating. And you said something very interesting. I mean, you talked about a more fluid approach to life where we're just trying to get by. We want to get by. We don't want to make enemies. We want to be in harmony with our surroundings. Uh, we don't want to do things that are what I would call, uh, there's a concept in finance. It's uh, called selling put options, which means that you have unlimited downside. Uh, so a put option means uh, that you're betting uh, that, uh, say you're betting on the overall stock market, uh, you're betting that it's not going to go down by too much. And if it stays about where it is and you sell a put option, you make a little bit of money. If it goes down a little bit, maybe you still make a little money or you break even. But if it really tanks, then you get wiped out. So we don't want to live life selling put options where we get a little bit of upside in terms of ego satisfaction, but unlimited downside, like you talked about. Someone might come and just take out their frustrations on us, kill our families. Why take that risk, even if it's a small risk? Uh, let's avoid those situations. So if I think about that third category, because this is where I believe most of us get hung up, the emotional response at times is overwhelming. Either we want to control a situation, it's not turning out the way that we want, people aren't listening, everyone around us is just so stupid. Why can't they just get with the program? Why can't they just behave in a way that they should behave? Uh, these are the conversations and dialogues that we have with ourselves. Or we end up uh, where someone, uh, as you mentioned, uh, this situation uh, between a couple of friends uh, that have come into the studio, you've worked with both of them, and they're having a big falling out, and there's just this overwhelming emotional response, uh, which is, I can't believe what you've done, I'm betrayed, uh, I'm going to kill you, I don't even care what happens to me. It's this irrational response. It's a complete absence of intelligence. Uh, but it's built up over time uh, because the conditions were in place where this person who's blowing up now was inevitably going to be disappointed. So those conditions are in place, but because of entitlement, because of drama, because we want to protect the ego and make sure that the world obeys our wishes and our whims, we act in this way. Or someone cuts us off in traffic or insults us, and we know it's not personal. Uh, if, again, we were to step back and rationally think about the situation, we might say, why waste our time? But in the moment, we feel so slighted. Maybe there's some fundamental insecurity that we have that we just lash out. I mean, I used to have this conversation with people that I worked with. And invariably, in every single organization I've been in, there's some people where it's just too much effort to engage with. It's counterproductive. It's dramatic. Uh, they're obstructionist. 
And the best thing to do, you know, or they're provocative, they're saying something just to get a reaction out of someone else. And my view was always, why even engage? And I've had conversations with friends of mine who've said, oh, my God, can you believe this person? Can you believe what they said? It's just riling me up. And why are they behaving this way? And that causes suffering. I mean, that's something that lingers and it taints every single interaction that you have with people at work. My response was always, if you were walking down the street and some mentally ill person started to yell insults at you, would you react? Why would you care? You would know that they're insane. You wouldn't bother asking yourself why they're doing this. You would just dismiss it and walk away. So that to me is similar to what you described, just have a sufficient amount of awareness to know that people around us are in states of high anxiety, anger, depression. They're going to lash out. It's not our concern. It's not personal. But somehow the ego gets involved because the ego wants to assert itself. The ego wants to remain in control. The ego wants accolades and validation. And to me, that's where a lot of this suffering comes from. And if you extrapolate from that tendency, you get into drama. Uh, The ego also wants to avoid accountability. So we concoct these stories about why things haven't turned out the way that we hoped, about how other people are mistreating us. We try and avoid personal responsibility. So if we start with that premise, Z, that a lot of this is ego-driven, what are some of the strategies that we can employ to subdue the ego or step back from the ego and therefore get rid of the suffering? Well, Vin, all remedies are born of causality. What causes the ego to flourish? What feeds the ego? What allows the ego to become obese like the average American? Once we look at the things that feed the ego, that have the highest caloric intake for the ego, we fast, we let the ego fast, we starve it. Let's think about the things that feed the ego. Jealousy. Envy covetedness, wanting what other people have, relative comparison, looking outside yourself for approval, entitlement. So let's think about those things. Those are the junk foods of the ego. Jealousy. What is jealousy? You look at someone and you believe that they have something that you were more deserving of or you've been denied. So it gets right into jealousy and entitlement. You have a hero sandwich made of jealousy, entitlement, covetousness, envy, right? Relative comparison, malthought, all the things we've talked about, tribalism. Right? Your happiness being based on another person's sadness. Your success relative to another person's failings. All these things feed the ego until it's just a huge, grotesque monster that consumes your whole life. So let's all go on an ego diet. Lack of a gratitude, no gratitude at all. That's another one. That's, that's dessert for the ego. Living a life of no gratitude. How about that? So let's look at the ego as if it were an entity. And what would I do to starve that thing? It's like that 
Austin Powers character, Fat Bastard. Remember that old show, uh, Austin Powers? And he had this bad guy, I guess. What's his name? Fat Bastard? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And, Smoking a pancake? And then, yeah, and then he had to go on a diet. And so the diet, the calories for the ego, are the things we just talked about. Those who compare themselves to others. Those who look outside of themselves for validation. Those who live a life of no gratitude. What about you desire, You feeling like you deserve something that other people have, or you compare yourselves? How about if you go listen to the neighbors or, or loose acquaintances, far acquaintances, and you come back and you decide your life isn't good because of what the neighbors are doing, right? What's good for your neighbors might not be good for you. How about minding your own business and they mind theirs? So all of these things will put you in a ravenous appetite, ego appetite state. And then once it starts consuming, it never gets tired. It's like a piranha. This just this mouth is going all the time. And these are the things that enrich it are the things that take from you. In coupling, in friendships. You know, I heard these people who were friends and jealousy and envy, a sense of betrayal. All these things were being spouted out. So friends became enemies. Illogic and, 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 and irrationality became the dominant force in these people's lives. It's very sad to see. It's very sad to see when we could have harmony. But when you start feeding the ego, suffering is inevitable. There is no gastric bypass for the ego. One must starve it. And even a starving ego still has life force in it. So our whole duty is to deny the ego nourishment. If you see someone doing well, be glad for them. Don't say, why them and not me? If you see somebody happy, don't feel like it's taking your happiness away. If you hear that an impoverished person will get support, don't feel like it's going to take something from you because their station in life is better compared to yours. Don't compare. How about not compare? There's a thing going on now where I guess they're, they're giving farmers, black farmers whose land was stolen from them a century ago, the government is now giving them restitution for that stolen land. And apparently, farmers whose land weren't stolen for generations are angry that they're getting their property back. Do you see the crazy? It has nothing to do with whether you get up in the morning and farm your field. You still do your work. You still have your market. But the idea that someone else will be doing well hurts them. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, I don't get it. We shouldn't get it. See, that's the thing. We shouldn't get it. We shouldn't understand that. It's like trying to understand why Ted Bundy killed a bunch of people. 
well, let me sit down and talk to Ted Bundy, the Green River Killer. I want to understand his point of view. I don't want to understand his point of view. I don't want to know him. I don't want to know why he did what he did. Because in order to know and understand what he did, you have to be a sociopath and a psychopath too. So that diminishes us just engaging in it. And so when we suppress the ego, we suppress the mechanism that unlocks the door so that suffering can come and go in our life freely. We can diminish our suffering, the part that we invite, the chronic suffering, the habitual suffering, simply by doing that. Show gratitude. What about the people that have a gratitude? They have no gratitude. No matter what happens, they're angry. I have people, I tell them all the time, you speak in problem. Right? I tell them, there's certain people who speak in problem. You know what I mean, Caitlin, right? The minute they open their mouth, they're talking about problems. So let's try to speak in solution. Or just speak in gravity and say, hey, you know what? We're subjects of gravity on Earth and shit happens sometimes. There are variables that we can't control, both gross, emotional, and spiritual. Sometimes it rains in the desert. And I always tell people, when you have trouble speaking in solution, I want you to think about this. And I've said this before, and I'm repeating it like I have dementia. We live on planet Earth. We're in a meaningless parsect of infinite space. We're a speck of dust in the grand scheme of the universe, sitting in front of a nuclear reactor 93 million miles away that's slowly burning up, but rapidly burning up by cosmic time. We're sitting on a, the third rock from that sun, spinning at 1,033 and a third mile an hour. Right now, that's how fast the Earth is spinning. Going around our sun at 60,000 miles an hour. And every day you wake up, we didn't run into shit. Just by the whim of nature and the vast of the universe, we didn't get blown the hell up. And every time you complain about weight, Luckily, you're not being thrown off this rock. Try to stand on the roof of your car doing 60. See how long you can stay there. Go ride a Bronco, a horse at a rodeo. See how long you stay. We're riding on this earth. We're going fast and speed of sound right now. And you know what the number one complaint is on people on this damn rock is? Is the weather. Complaining about the weather. You're lucky you can breathe. The air we breathe is just... The, the water on top of itself. The pressure of the air that we breathe is just less, lower enough so we can breathe it in. If the, if the basic atmospheric pressure was slightly greater than it is, we'd be fish. Okay? We'd have to be fish to survive. Why don't we shut the hell up and just walk in gratitude? You got friends that likely, if you if, if everything works out, we'll live to be 100. 60 or 70 of those years, you'll know your name. Remember who you are, right? You have a good, clear mind. You might keep your mind clear 100 years if you don't do too many drugs, drinking, and, and being rude to people. Then it's all over. And then 
a few days, a few weeks, a few months after your death, after your hundred year stint on this planet, very few people remember you were even here. About a, a million people will be born on the day you die who never knew you existed. Year after that, it's a billion people that weren't were here when you weren't even around taking your place. Let's enjoy life. Who has why why invite suffering? Or curse yourself. Show gratitude. Hey, you know, I I got up today, I could see the world, uh, a little rough getting up, but hey, my bowels work. Got hungry, somebody called to see how I was doing. People were expecting me somewhere because they love me and like me. Or I have some role in their life and shit, I'll get through this day and uh, call it quits without getting shot in a road rage event. Is that, is that, is that not enough? Oh, Z, you need to aspire for more. More what? More what? Well, you should have a lot of money like Harvey Weinstein. Maybe that'll help. Maybe you have a lot of money like Elon Musk. He's got a lot of money. For what? How did that help him? I'm okay. There's enough people on earth that we can all have a handful of friends and loved ones. How about that? Eight billion people. That means every single one of us has a few hundred thousand people that could be our friend. Just based on the friggin' numbers. You're a numbers guy, Vin. Do the accounting on that. <laughs> How many friends could we possibly have with eight billion people on earth, even if we're weird? Even if we're weird. You have a hundred thousand friends. Right? What makes life better than that? So... One of the tools of mitigating suffering is, as I said, is go on an ego diet. Make your ego fast. Actually, starve that son of a bitch into submission. Put it in a basement. Like a deformed weirdo that you would put in your basement. Like in one of those horror movies. You have like a gimp or something down in the basement. Put your ego down in the basement and gimp his ass out. Only when nobody's around, throw them a little bit of food. Run around naked in the house and talk about how great you are. That's the only time you can feed him. Then when you join the rest of us, the ego is so starved, you're just glad to be here. Just floating on this rock around a nuclear reactor through a parsec to space, being completely insignificant in the grand scheme of things. How wonderful is that? Yeah, Z, this concept of starving the ego to me is very interesting. And in addition to everything you've said, I mean, we've talked about how destructive the ego can be, how people walk around jealous and angry and entitled. So first, there's the immediate benefit. If you starve the ego, get rid of that. It's like this huge sigh of relief, like, ah, <laughs> I can breathe. I've got, I used to have a list of 50 things that I had to worry about. Am I making enough money? Do I look good enough compared to my friends? Do I have enough followers on Instagram? And suddenly my list is down to about one or two things. Do I have food, shelter? Do I have people around me that I care about? 
life becomes so much more simple. So we create the space to be aware, to be present, to enjoy, uh, because the more the ego grows, the more it confines us and it shrinks that space until that space completely disappears. So I would say there's that immediate benefit, just that immediate sense of relief from embracing the fact that we're not that important, embracing, in a sense, our own irrelevance. Uh, Yeah, you know, there are 8 billion other people. We're not that special. Maybe mommy and daddy said we were special, but now we're adults, and guess what? No one cares about us. But that's great. It creates a lot of freedom and liberation. We don't have to worry about whether we're doing things right or we're not doing things right. We don't have anything to prove, anything to uphold. We can just exist. It becomes a much more natural state of being. So there's that aspect, which uh, to me is liberating. And I'll admit, I don't feel that way all the time. But the times that I can step back and just cast off the anxiety, steep myself in gratitude. And it might not even be conscious gratitude, but it's, again, creating that space where you can soak things in and just feel the the exhilaration of existence. It does wonders for the spirit. And then if you take it a step further, the ego feeds on itself. And this is where it becomes very dangerous in my view. It's kind of like the virtual world that we've talked about and how when you spend too much time with technology or you spend too much time on YouTube and you're basically in this echo chamber where the algorithms are pushing you towards more and more extreme views. Everything you see confirms your view and it makes you that much more extreme and polarized and hateful. You lose perspective on what's real because you don't have any visceral feedback. You don't have anything substantive that you can touch and feel. You don't have any other opinions that can balance your perspective. So you go down this rabbit hole And that, to me, is what happens with the ego as well. We end up getting caught in our own dramas, in our own nonsense. And the ego is always going to try and preserve itself. So whatever idea we have in our mind about how we've been mistreated, about how other people haven't lived up to their side of the bargain, about how our parents didn't raise us the right way, we just build that narrative to greater and greater proportions. We ignore all evidence to the contrary. Oh, we're not looking around for a job. We're not doing anything to become interesting, to advance our skills. It doesn't matter. We're victims uh, because people just can't see how interesting we are. Or maybe there's some conspiracy. And if we're an incel, we we can't get sex because uh, the world has conspired against us. And uh, women are only interested in people who've got a certain look. And therefore, we have no shot It's just insane. I mean, I remember reading this article. This is a bit of a tangent, but on this topic of incels, the involuntary celibates, how they were so convinced that they didn't have the right physical look. So forget about the fact that they never stepped outside. They never engaged in conversation. They spent all their time online dropping hate notes about everyone around them and just absorbing this extremely negative view of the world and of themselves that wasn't the problem. Uh, They convinced themselves that they didn't have the right jawline or their nose was a little bit off or uh, their features weren't symmetric enough. And this article I was reading was fascinating. There was apparently this incel plastic surgeon who all the incels referred other incels to. 
And he specialized in making people look the way that they wanted. So they got the symmetrical features. Uh, they got their nose to look the right way. They got this manly chin and this strong jaw or whatever the hell it was. And they would save up tens of thousands of dollars to get the surgery and pay for the travel. And then they would come out of it and they would feel good for a while, maybe a couple of weeks. But then they started looking at themselves in the mirror and they started noticing imperfections. And they said, oh, maybe I'm not as attractive as I first thought. And then that would feed on itself. And then they'd be shot down again by women and that would be a blow to their confidence. And then they'd start the process all over. Oh, can I just get this one more surgery? So the mind takes over and it completely destroys reality. Uh, there's no sense of proportion. There's no sense of what is. All perspective is consumed by the ego. And if we allow the ego to spiral out of control, that's what it does. It becomes us against the world. Everyone else is wrong. We're right. We've never gotten our just due. We have to be able to proclaim and prove that we're the most important person in the room. And it just leads to complete insanity. And then, of course, any evidence to the contrary, we wipe out. People who disagree with our point of view or might be able to help us, it's too painful to hear what they say. So we find other people who are just like us. And we live again in this echo chamber. Uh, we don't have the ability to objectively appraise our situation. Uh, and I think most tragically, we just end up living in our head, in our own dramas. I mean, it becomes our own telenovela. And it robs us of the chance to actually live, to see what this world is about. It's kind of like this nightmare escape that we're walking through every day and we can't get out of. And the longer we're there, the more stuck we are. <laughs> so if I think about this, I'm getting worked up talking about it. But Z, you're absolutely right. I mean, we need to to slay this beast, or even if we don't slay it, I won't say the ego does nothing for us. It keeps us alive. It makes sure that we feed ourselves, take care of ourselves to some extent. So there's some utility, but we need to keep it in check and make sure that it serves us. And it's not something that grows to a size where our entire life is feeding this ego and meeting its ridiculous needs and desires. I mean, that's a recipe for disaster. That's when we, when we become a slave to our vanity, to our impulses, to our unchecked emotions. Uh, so just going down that checklist again that you mentioned, things like rejecting entitlement, rejecting jealousy, rejecting relative comparison, uh, which is horrible. That's a game that we're going to lose. We're always going to be able to find someone who's better than us in some dimension, even if we're at the very top of the heap, uh, if we're always measuring ourselves, we're going to worry that we're going to lose our status. So we're still going to suffer, even if we make it to the pinnacle. It's a game that we're going to lose. I mean, we're basically setting ourselves up to lose in life. But if we can keep the ego in check, get beyond all of that, embrace gratitude, uh, strip away all of the worries and the anxieties that are ego-driven and really get back to just the simple connection to each moment and the day-to-day -day experiences that we have, life becomes a lot more simple. I would argue a lot more rewarding. And I don't want to get into what we should be doing or shouldn't be doing, but I can't help but observe that that's, in a sense, how we're meant to be. I mean, we're meant to live in a way where we see things clearly, where we interact with the world in an objective manner, take that input, use it to move forward. 
uh, when the ego spins out of control, it, we entirely lose that perspective. You're absolutely right. And, and that's what I say. We, we, we do this ego diet. And you want to visualize the ego as if it were some wild animal that you had as a pet. And the more you feed it, the bigger it is. At some point, that animal gets so big that it runs your whole life. That you become its pet. So are you the pet of your ego or is it your pet? And if it's your pet, you know how to restrain it, how to limit its growth, limit its dominance in your life. Look at your different interactions with people. And what nurtures you the most is to have that peace and quiescence of your own heart. People who accept you just for who you are. People that can offer healthy critique and healthy gratitude and, and, and grace you with that energy. In the privacy of your own self, are you okay with you? And can you be your own best critic? If you're not okay, we, how about work on it? Hey, here's some things I'm working on. And then don't run around and tell people, oh, I'm working on it. Am, am I okay now? Have I reached my goal? No, it's up to you. You set your milestones and aspirations. And then have an open heart. If you're around people that enjoy your company a certain way, and that enjoyment brings you enjoyment, then that's magnanimous. That's beautiful. That's mutual benefit. That's mutual benefit right there. If you're friends and you do things for your friends and they do things for you, wow, that nurtures the friendship. But they also can drop the hammer on you and says, okay, you messed up. And you can drop your head in a humble way and say, oh, thanks for pulling my coattail and helping me stay on the right track. That's a good friend. That's a good relationship. I remember this, this guy would call me and he was worried that his wife was going to leave him and he'd always call, he was stalking his wife. It was the weirdest thing. Then he, I told him, look, my wife is gone. She's, where's your wife at right now? I said, I have no idea where she is. I had no idea. She went somewhere. She told me, going, I, I couldn't keep up. She's a woman. I could only keep up with half the stuff she said. I just said, okay, great. I think she's getting back home between 7 and 10 at night. That's what she told me. As long as she's not, she's safe. Uh, no accidents or anything. Aren't you worried? I would never let my wife go somewhere and I didn't know exactly where she was. I said, wow, that's a lot of work, dude. And while you're working on that, you're not working on yourself. You're becoming an ogre. You're like a troll that lives under a bridge or something. You stop working on yourself because you're so busy patrolling her. He said, but don't you get jealous? I said, no. I, I said, does... You go to an ice cream shop, I don't think the I don't think the vanilla is jealous of the chocolate or the strawberries jealous of the pina colada. Everybody likes different things at different times. It's all good, man. It's all good. Life's good. I just want to I just want to do me. And then when we're together, we're happy or we're content. That's 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 my biggest goal in life is contentment. And the guy was just miserable. And his ego was out of control. It, then it fed on his fear, it fed on his jealousy to the point where he began to destroy his domestic bliss. People do this all the time. All the time. Or they look at their, they, they can't have friends because they're comparing themselves always, endlessly. They have all these reality shows based on these different people comparing themselves to other, and they're in endless feuds. My God, for what? Life's short. Why, why are you mad at people? Why are you putting yourself around people you're mad at? 
or get around people then make them mad. Mike, this is insane. And so this is suffering. You might as well join a religion that requires you to beat and whip yourself, which people, some people are into self-flagellation, beating the devil out of themselves. That's not religion for me. I want a nice religion where you can just like massage yourself or something, pleasure yourself. I don't know. Give me that religion. I don't want anything that requires me to inflict suffering on myself. Makes no sense. So all I can offer is from my experience is gratitude. Just be in gratitude. And don't invite suffering into your life. Follow the ego starvation diet and shrink it down to a manageable size. You follow me, Vin? Yeah, yeah, I'm here, Z. Uh, my eight-year-old is talking to me while we're doing the podcast, telling me how excited she is to learn weapons and kung fu and karate from you. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to teach her the opposite of stranger danger. <clears throat> I'm a teacher how to put a stranger in danger. <laughs> yeah, yeah, she can't wait. Uh, but uh, to get back to our topic We've come full circle in a sense. I mean, we started by talking about suffering and why do we suffer. Uh, we got into strategies to mitigate suffering, owning your actions, treating people the way that uh, you would treat them if you knew that they might disappear at any moment, uh, which is, in fact, the reality. Uh, we got into going through life more fluidly, avoiding petty squabbles, uh, avoiding interactions that only have downside and very little upside. And then finally, we talked about the reasons why we get there and we drag ourselves into situations that are counterproductive. And it comes down to the ego. It comes down to this need to prove ourselves to be better than others, to lift ourselves above the masses of humanity. But we need to reject all that. Uh, we need to recognize ultimately we're irrelevant in a sense, not in a bad way, but we're no better than any of the other 8 billion people here. Uh, we shouldn't be entitled. Uh, we shouldn't be jealous. And when I say shouldn't, I mean that these are things that are going to bring us pain. Uh, so if we can keep that ego in check and keep its needs in check, uh, we can reclaim life. We can get back into that grateful state, that open state where we've just got more harmonious interactions. And that's really the place that we want to be. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving us a review on Podbean, iTunes, or your favorite podcasting app. Each five-star review helps us bring you more unique and insightful content. Learn more at dharmamedia.com. Peace.